0: Welcome to WNXS News. I'm Jank E.
1: And I'm Kit Harding.
0: Thank you for joining us.
1: Our top story is a continuation of one from last week.
0: Fortunately, I was able to sit down with Michelle and Taya of the Lorgoyfs to talk about it. I'm here with Taya and Michelle of the Lorgoyfs. Thank you both so much for joining me.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
3: Yeah, looking uh, forward to chatting with you.
0: Thanks so much. Um, why don't we get started? Uh, the two of you could introduce yourselves a little bit, tell us how you got into Magic's story, and tell us a little bit about just your involvement with the community. Um, Michelle, why don't you
2: start? Oh, gosh. Uh, hey, I am Michelle Rapp. Um, I have been playing Magic since 2014 or thereabouts, uh, when, my, when one of my the startups that I was at, in, that before it imploded, decided to spend a lot of money on Booster boxes and gave us lots of cards. <laughs> so um with that wise technical investment, I'm sure they they're, I'm sure their backers were pleased. Um but ever since then I, I kind of was immediately drawn to story because I, I got in right at the end of the um last three block set which was uh Count Cons, uh Khans of Tarkir, Fate Reforged, and Dragons of Here. And I, I was really intrigued by the setting because one, it's all Central Asia and I'm like, oh my God, it's a whole set with like different Asian representation. That's super cool. Not only that, but, you know, there's also a trans woman in the setting and <laughs> this is just fantastic. I love it. So I immediately was like, oh, I always thought that magic was for, you know, people who didn't look like me. And as it turns out, you know, there were people who looked like me who, and clearly people who cared about the things I cared about um working like their perspective was being presented in these cards which i thought was very very cool um so yeah since then um a couple years later um a few friends like in my local game store here in san francisco were like hey we're starting this podcast and we're like do you want to join and i said sure i'm not working in the startup anymore let's do it (laughs) i've sworn (laughs) off startups let's I, I, now have time. <laughs> this is great. So, uh, we, we, started there and that's, that's where the Lord waves came from. Like we, um, you know, we, we sat around together. I helped come up with the name and I created the first logo. Um, you know, I just, it's funny. I found my notes the other day, uh, from our first five episodes where we talked about the, um, the identifying like, uh, creatures for each color. Um, so that was really, really fun. Um, but yeah, so I've been pretty much part of the magic community since then I kind of fell in really hard and really deep and it's been a, quite a journey. Yeah.
3: Um, I started playing in revised because I'm old, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I you know picked up a, <laughs> I'm old. I picked up a starter deck at Electronics Boutique, you know, when I was 14 and got hooked right away, um, played steadily through college, and then took a almost 15-year break when all my stuff got stolen, which really sucked. I've oh. been playing continually since uh, M13, uh, and I'm a big collector uh, and... You know, I've always was a huge fan of the story back from when we got, you know, really bad novels that had nothing to do with the game and then start getting the weather like Saga. <laughs> uh, one of the first things I did when I came back to the game was catch up on, you know, 15 years of Miss Story. Uh, and, you know, I spent a lot of time on, the, you know, Magic Wiki, um, just catching up and just ra- rabbit holing down what's happened to Nickel Bullis since then? And then, you know, I've just been a huge fan of the lore since then. I spent a lot of time on Twitter talking about it. I guessed it on Goyf several times before becoming a cast member last March. Um, And it's just, uh, yeah, it's like my favorite part of uh, Magic besides all the cool people I've met through it.
2: By the way, Taya, you're not you're not old. You're just you're seasoned. You're seasoned, <laughs> you know. Like like you you you're like a good Cabernet, you know, <laughs> sitting in a French cellar. <sighs>
0: yeah. I, Bring I'm you glad out. you said that because I didn't have a good way to S- 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 express okay. that thought. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 Taya's like a really freaking like awesome Bordeaux you know like big and bold and 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 spicy and just (laughs) nice earthy notes you know
0: (laughs) spicy yeah. I kind of like that yeah Magic Story had kind of a good uptick for the last set or two and then Strixhaven comes along and with it problems to put it very simply um Michelle, you especially have been very outspoken about the Killian Lou storyline on your Twitter and recently on the Goblin Lore cast. Um, and uh not just you, of course, but can would you like to just go into what exactly was is going on with that and what the problems are with that particular aspect of the story?
2: Gotcha. So um Like many things in life, especially when we deal with the intersection of identity, uh, race, um, media representation, and also game design, (laughs) uh, we end up with what I would describe as a lasagna of problems, (laughs) Um, (laughs) at least in this particular regard. Uh, except this time, it's with soy sauce. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh. Um, actually, that sounds that sounds interesting. Who knows? I don't know. I feel like I should try that sometime. But anyway, the so uh, when, when I first was super uh, like every Asian person I knew who played magic, who I hey, who I talked to, and more and more folks. Like when we saw Killian, you we were like, yes. <laughs> Yes, this is this is like the handsome, like very well done, like K-pop influenced, ha- like very attractive Asian dude that we've like always wanted to see in magic. Like we've got Sarkon, but let's be real here. Sarkon doesn't care too much about how he looks, and it's very apparent. Um Granted, he spent a lot of his life with two dragons in his head telling him what to do, so that can do a lot of damage to a person. But this time, we've got Killian. Uh, at least, that's what we thought. We we were like, oh, that that's going to be so great. And then that Dicebreaker article came out. So immediately upon reading it, I have to give kudos uh, to Ryan, um, Barbarian read something, I'm sorry, Ryan, I can't think of your Twitter handle offhand, but um, he actually, like, tagged me. I think he's on a different time zone than me. So I woke up on the West Coast, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I see this. I literally wake up, I read this article, and I just, I remember taking out my glasses and just doing, like, a face palm and being like, no. Um, because the way that they had chosen to depict him as per this article, was as the son of one of the deans of the colleges of Strixhaven. Now that in and of itself is not necessarily an issue. It becomes a problem when he is being also described as, um, you know, hardworking, a really good student, et cetera. And that's that's also not inherently too much of an issue. But then we also get the tiger parents on top of that. Or um, just to say uh, his dad, Dean Ambrose. It's been very established by this point that Silverquill looks like the least um, happy college at Strixhaven. But uh, what was really, really jarring about that article was the way that it very clearly touched on so many Asian stereotypes. Um, First being the model minority and the second being um, the tiger parent. So uh, the model minority myth uh, was created in 1966 uh, by William Peterson, who was a white sociologist who uh, basically wanted to describe the sociological phenomenon of Japanese Americans um, reestablishing themselves within American uh, society and recouping a lot of the wealth and the success that they had lost before they, you know, the US decided to detain everybody on the West Coast um, who was Japanese. And it was then um, co opted by US News World Report with regards to Chinese um, immigrants who had come in in 1965, 1966, in 1965, 1966 as part of a merit based immigration um, effort. Uh, basically, this article po- also point out hey, look at all these Asian folks. They're super like successful and then that idea uh that idea permeated like basically took its nestled itself within the american subconscious and became um essentially a measuring stick that was used against other people of color uh at least within the united states so um of course the myth i i don't know if i need to tell you all this but the the myth isn't true (laughs) it it (laughs) might shock you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hashtag spoilers um, i've
0: had an inkling
2: but yeah it is yeah. it is a slight surprise to many people but uh, if you actually break down the demographic of you know the, the perceived asian model minority you actually can see like we're, we're actually not that much better at that than anyone else um we're not You know, there are a lot of high performing Asian Americans out there, but if you look at us versus like other demographics, there's still quite a few Asian folks who are not making that mark either, um, at least according to, uh, you know, things like studies and SAT scores and whatnot. The other thing that isn't being counted for either is. the the places where these folks are coming from so for example um like i mentioned before we had this merit-based system immigration policy that opened um up immigration to east asians uh in 1965 now the folks that were coming in that were being permitted to come in uh were people usually from upper middle class families who um had advanced degrees so it would make sense of course that they would come over here find their skills to be transferable and be able to you know make and sustain an income um that would be higher than say those uh vietnamese for example immigrants like my family that came in during 1970s um from a war-torn country so folks coming from the philippines folks coming from vietnam um and from laos like those folks don't tend to do as well, mostly because, yeah, we, we didn't come in here with a lot of income. We actually came here without pretty much almost anything. Like my family came here with literally just the clothes on their backs. <laughs> and which was hilarious because then the they got church clothes that were way too big for them. It was really funny. Um, but it is a real, it basically this, what I'm trying to say is that this art, this trope basically paints a whole range of individuals, like a whole, literally people coming from an entire continent with the same brush. And that's just not true. If you look at any continent, right? Like you can, if you look at the North America, like that's just not, you can't paint all of this, but you can't say that one experience um, defines everyone within this region. Um, So it is definitely, something that is used often to not only keep asian americans quote unquote in their place and to give them and to show that show them off as like a token diversity person but also um as a way to excoriate like black indigenous latinx folks for like not doing as well in a system that um actually you know oppresses them um the model minority myth really holds up this idea of the meritocracy, um, that the idea that you can achieve anything within the American dream, um, as long as you you know keep your head down and you work hard. And we, we know that that isn't true. Um, we know that there's more to it. So that's one aspect. Um, the other part of this is the tiger parent myth. And there is some truth to that, in a sense that um, a lot of East Asian cultures do take some inspiration and do have some influence from traditional Confucian philosophy, especially um, the idea that the family is a unit. Um, if you think like Game of Thrones, you know, like um, when you remember, you know, I'm, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Game of Thrones—it's been around for twenty years—but I don't know. I guess I'm going to spoil it for you anyway. In um, for the Starks, like Rob, who is the eldest and therefore heir to Winterfell, um, and king of the north etc etc like he decides to marry some nobody and that is a huge problem for the family right and it's not actually too dissimilar from like the way that um a lot of conf- uh, a lot of east asian families who prescribe to the um Confucian ideal think of themselves like your kids are essentially your next opportunity your family's next opportunity to better themselves so your child's success is therefore the family's success and this makes sense for a society in which um you know in order to gain a government position this was a very big thing um in chinese history you could actually become a government official by taking a test Uh, it doesn't even matter like where you're from or your background is as long as you're able to pass that test you could immediately elevate your family from poverty um, you can move them into the next social bracket, which was a really, really big deal. So there is that mindset, but it's the idea that every Asian parent would do this. Um, it, it's so, again, um, really dilutes, really, um, really creates a very shallow understanding of of like Asian culture, and in particular, the idea that there is no such thing as like real affection between like parent and child. Like it's, it, it's really all about just, you know, do your homework. Why did you get an A minus, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are just memes that we've seen from everything from like Family Guy to, to Saturday Night Live. Um, it, it's, there are going to be people who are like that, but that's definitely not, the entire population right so mm-hmm. that's what's so damaging about killian Liu's presentation here let's what's, what's so really not okay about his story he um regardless of the way he well, what the intention was the effect of what we see is um once again a um an emphasis on these really really harmful stereotypes so I hope it answers your question. I know that's very long-winded, but it is also a very <laughs> complex issue. No, uh, it's uh, it, it's yeah. exactly and, and an it, answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing, too, is just like, you know, as, as an Asian American, like, or as an Asian person, we don't get much representation, right? That's changing a little bit nowadays. But for a good majority of my life, I didn't get to you know play other characters i was always just the asian one like i always play, got to play trini i only could only play trini on the playground <laughs> like if i played power oh, Rangers, no. Um, <laughs> and she was the yellow ranger we won't get into that um mm. but it, it's but we've seen this trope so often that it's important that especially nowadays with um asian american hate crimes on the rise we and not just in america but elsewhere as well um, we need to be more mindful, we need to be more careful about how we um, depict people who look like us, people who are inspired by us within media. It doesn't even matter that it's a card game, like anywhere, anywhere that get, get, get its eyes, like we, we need to be more careful about that.
0: The full interview can be found at mtgnexus.com.
1: Amid all the discussion provoked by Killian, there was another piece of cultural appropriation in Strixhaven that's received much less attention from the community. Wandering Archaic.
0: Wandering Archaic features art of a multi-armed being striking a pose straight out of Hindu religious imagery.
1: This is a single image, and could be seen as an oversight were it not for wizards' history with misuse of Indian cultures. Kaladesh drew fire for using Indian imagery as set dressing without really engaging in the culture.
0: There was a lot of discussion in the community of this mistake at the time, so seeing Wizards repeat it is disappointing.
1: Another story that has gotten less attention than it otherwise might have is a Twitter account purporting to belong to Director of Entertainment Development Nick Kelman, announcing Kelman's departure from Wizards of the Coast.
0: Kelman's tenure in charge of Magic story has been marked by controversy. Initial objections to him from the community concern a book he had written, which includes sex between adult men and underage girls.
1: When community objections to his hiring were raised, Kelman consistently avoided distancing himself from the book, even when asked about it directly.
0: Kelman presided over several controversies within Magic Story itself as well. Not only the shift away from the free stories on the website, which was met with such outcry, Wizards was eventually forced to return the story to its website but also the erasure of Chandra's bi-identity, which Wizards was again forced to walk back from, and the removal of character growth seen in earlier stories, especially for Magic's female characters.
1: As of time of recording, Wizards has not confirmed Kelman's departure, and we cannot definitively confirm that the Twitter account is Kelman's, although the LinkedIn account mentioned in the tweet does appear genuine and Wizards has not issued a denial.
0: Kelman's alleged departure is already being met with positive reaction from the community, many of whom are suggesting that it's far past time for him to leave, and speculating that this may be related to the outcry over Killian.
1: The timing is certainly... suggestive.
0: Still, coincidences do happen.
1: Of course. Though if they hire another man who's written a sketchy book to fill his position, I will refuse to believe that's a coincidence.
0: Not waiting for three times it's a conspiracy?
1: Given how long high-level Wizards employees tend to last, that would take far too long. For our next story, the April Strixhaven Qualifier Weekend was held April 10th and 11th, and Isa will tell us all about it after this word from the network.
0: I hope you like this place. It's gotten really good reviews since the consulate was reformed and people could actually own businesses again.
2: Me too. I've really been craving some chicken vindaloo lately.
0: I am curious to try the butter chicken. I hear it's out of this plane.
2: Mm, That does sound good.
0: Right?
3: Maybe we should start with some samosa as an appetizer.
0: (sighs) There's just so many options. And it's such a good price, too. Ovia's really made this place a good lunch spot. Ovia Pacheres. Homemade eateries. Come on down and try some.
1: And we're back! Iso, why don't you tell us about the Qualifier?
4: Thanks, Kit. This Qualifier Weekend was very different from the last one, which was Kaldheim Sealed. Historic Constructed made a return for this one, including all the top Historic builds. For anyone unfamiliar with how the Qualifier Weekends work, the eligibility is as follows. Players who finished in the top 1,200 of the previous month's competitive season for either Constructed or Limited, getting to the second day of the last Qualifier Weekend, Players who were in the Caldheim Set Championship that weren't already qualified for the Strixhaven one or members of the Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame are all eligible. We got to see all sorts of builds, including the classics of both Azorius and Jeskai Control. Rakdos aggro, mono green elves, and mono red goblins were solid representations of the aggro portion of the meta and performed quite well in that regard. Orzhov enchantments made its appearance for the mid range grouping right alongside Demir rogues which ground out its opponents. This weekend was the last major competitive one until May, when we see the next arena open running May 8th to 9th, which will be Strixhaven sealed, so we'll get to see the Mystical Archive cards in action. The following weekend of May 15th to 16th, we'll host the next championship qualifier, as well as a Magic Online League weekend. As always, we'll be here to give you the highlights. Jenk!
0: Thanks, Isa. The new Magic Legends MMO went into open beta on March 23rd and has been met with mixed reviews. Some of the more positive comments have been based on the overall world building and the playstyle of building your deck of spells to cast at enemy creatures.
1: On the other hand, some of the negative is in a more technical vein. The tutorial text boxes have a surprising amount of words, making it easy to miss certain details for some mechanics and regions. In addition, the introductory story, which takes place on Zendikar, takes quite some time to play through and it's not possible to planeswalk until you finish it.
0: The complaint that seems to be loudest, however, concerns how Wizards is paywalling certain things.
1: For any who may be unaware, paywalling is the act of making certain features available only to those who pay money for it. It's a very common practice in video games, albeit not a widely loved one.
0: The dislike for paywalling in this instance is twofold. Firstly, what's being paywalled are not cosmetic features, but actual playable classes. Secondly, this is a paywall for a game that's still only in its beta form.
1: Which is questionable at best.
0: This does not bode well for the game, but we will be sure to keep you updated as we draw ever closer to its official release. Our next story, the Strixhaven Commander decks are finally revealed in full to us, and Diz will tell you all about them after this break. On the next draining love Social cues seem to be Cues for the end For Arvad and Tiana We always go to the angel parties Those are all your friends Are you embarrassed To be seen with me of and the course other soldiers? Of not It's just that the angels expect me to be at their parties.
1: But my
0: co-soldiers are starting to say I think I'm too
1: good for them. Of course not, but
2: maybe you're too good for me.
0: Welcome back is why don't you give us the breakdown on these new decks
5: don't mind if i do Jink. these deck lists have been a long time coming and commander players have been itching for any details they can get we won't go into the full list but we'll talk about some of the new cards we're getting for the decks we'll start off with something that's making the most waves a pair of white ramp spells monologue tax and archaeomancer's map monologue tax is an enchantment for two and a white that states whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn create a treasure token
1: so not quite on the level of smothering type?
5: Not quite, but it's not alone in the White Ramp. Archaeomancer's map is an artifact for the same cost as Monologue Tax and lets you fetch two basic planes when it enters the battlefield. It also says that when an opponent plays land, if they have more lands than you, you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield.
0: Holy cow, sounds like someone's wishes are finally coming true. You ain't seen
5: nothing yet. The Silver Quill deck features a fog like spell called Ink Shield, an instant for five total that prevents damage and gives the caster oh. a number of Inkling tokens equal to the amount of damage prevented. We don't just get new cards, but some juicy reprints as well. Doretti Scrap Savant is back again as his debtors now. Each deck is getting the Ravnik and Color Matches Signet, and Arcane Signet is back for all five decks. Other format staples, like Beast Within and Utter End, are back as well, which should bring prices on them down to a good level for more players who have been waiting on them.
1: One of the biggest complaints about these decks over the years has been the mana base. How do those look?
5: In a word, playable. Each one comes with an exotic orchard and the appropriate pain land, not to mention the typical command tower and the mana rocks I mentioned earlier. That should make upgrading them easier as well as make them more playable right out of the box. Cank,
0: Thanks, Diz. One of the most hyped-up parts of Strixhaven was slightly marred as artist Jason Felix was caught out for plagiarism. His art for Crux of Fate from the Mystical Archive was a composite, using art from the original Ugin the Spirit Dragon, and a fan art of Nickel by artist Kit Lepenya.
1: Outcry was fierce when this was discovered, and worsened when both Felix and Wizards of the Coast were slow to respond. Felix later explained that he was reaching out to the affected artists and Watsi before making a statement.
0: Watsi issued a statement saying they were suspending further work with Felix while they investigate, and Felix himself issued an apology on Twitter and stated he will be compensating the affected artists.
1: At time of recording, it has been more than a week since the initial statement by Watsi, and no further comment has been issued on the matter, leading some to grow impatient. Others have seen the ironic side of things. Also in Strixhaven is a card called Bold Plagiarist.
0: That's terrible. But accurate. One final note before we leave you. Loading Ready Run hosted their pre-pre-release for the new set, as is normal, on April the 9th. WotC asked them to use this event as an opportunity to reveal the Witherbloom Commander deck. LRR decided to put it near the end of it that day, and a fairly high number of Magic players decided that that wasn't soon enough. So the only reasonable response was to attack the LLR team.
1: You mean to tell us that magic players, who are always known for being rational and never terrible, overreacted?
0: As hard as it is to believe, that's exactly what happened. I will say that they made only one mention of the timing before the day, a couple of days prior via a tweet. But reactions were still remarkably negative. Not only were some players upset, but a notable amount decided to be blatantly abusive and harass the LRR team through Reddit, Twitter, and the, their Twitch stream. Now keep in mind, this is the same group that raised over a million dollars for a children's charity just this past November, and continually puts positivity into the Magic community. These reactions even caused the LRR team to respond to their own Twitters, expressing a mix of disappointment, sadness, and understandable anger at people who reacted this way. Could they have been more clear or more blatant about the timing of the reveal from the get-go? Sure. Does that excuse the negative treatment they received from these people? Not even a little bit. The players who decided they were entitled to see a decklist a few hours earlier to the point where they were willing to abuse other humans should at the bare minimum be ashamed of themselves and should definitely apologize for this behavior. It's absolutely never okay to be abusive to other people, especially over something this small and relatively unimportant.
1: That's all for this edition. We'll see you next time.
0: Same time, new news.